Welcome to another edition of No Box Sports. I'm your host, Jason Green, and this is episode 61. And just like all the other 60 episodes, we have so much to get to. Um, listen, listen to my last episode, I talk about the Sixers um, collapsing and all that. And I guess now I'm going to have to give an absolute another, um, like, what the hell just happened kind of take on that that I'll be giving. Um, I'll break down the entire Sixers, Game 7 and Game 6, and what I think went wrong. And then um, also the Bucks nets game. I'll break that down in all the other games. Then we're going to get to our Western and Eastern um, Conference predictions. And, um, you know, I'll see what I like in that series. Um, just real quick, I went 2 out of 4 in the second round. But I'll detail what went wrong, why my picks are wrong, or, you know, and all that. But first, I'm going to get to what's on my mind. And I've been trying to get to this what's on my mind for two and a half weeks. And this easily would have been the what's on my mind um Last week, if the Sixers didn't absolutely collapse in Game 5, I want to talk about Katie's legacy. And because it's one of the most fascinating things I've ever laid my eyes on, okay? So, Katie's legacy to me is right now, you can consider him the best player in the world. The first time ever in his career that you can confidently say that he has the chance to be the best player in the world. It wasn't in 2018 when he was going off against that Clipper series and LeBron. Um didn't make the playoffs for the first time in like 12 years. It was it was it was after game 7. And the reason why I think it was because of that is because we finally got to feel like what it was like if he was in LeBron's shoes for that particular series. Doesn't Harden was hurt, no Kyrie, you're facing a very good opponent of the Bucks. What are you going to do when you have to do everything? And this is what he did. By the way, in that series he averaged 34 points per game, shooting 51% from the field and over 40% from the three. In the three games where Harden came back and it was just clearly hobbled with a great two hamstring string and Kyrie Irving was out, in game uh, in game five, or sorry, in game six, he put up 49 points, or sorry, yes, game five, put up 49 points, um, 17 boards, and 10 assists, and they came back from 20. Only player ever to do that, 45, 15, and 10 in a playoff game in NBA history. In game six, which they lost, yes, but he still had 32 11 and 3 and he kept that in that game for most of the time and game 7 he also did not sit a single minute same thing in game 5 he went 17 to 36 scored the most points ever in a game 7 at 48 points 9 rebounds 6 steals a steal and a block and only had 3 turnovers in the 2 games where he dominated almost at 50 points he had combined 6 turnovers and he had the ball in his hands the majority of the time when when he, when Russell Westbrook got hurt, I believe in 2014, um, he couldn't get past the second round. And it's still true today. He couldn't get past the second round. But the truth is, what he just did was the most impressive thing he's ever done. And if you watch him, and everyone's saying the same thing when you watch him. It's not it's nothing new that anyone's been saying. He's the most unguardable player in NBA history. He still is and always has been. But we're trying to watch the unguardable player do what he just did that night. Be the guy. And when I mean be the guy, I've seen Kevin Durant be the guy plenty of times. But this was the first time we had guys, and clearly he didn't have them, if that made sense. Like LeBron James had Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, then Kyrie Irving got hurt, and Kevin Love was a little hobbled. Or had times he didn't have both of them. It was like LeBron when they played the my um the Pacers and it went seven because Bosch got hurt. And LeBron and Wade had to do it on their own. I've seen Kevin Durant be great. I have a two times finals MVP. I saw him when he was on the Warriors 
when he was taking the last shots of the game. He was averaging 35 points a game. He was the one when the, they were down 2-1 against Clippers. He's the one that took over, not Steph Curry. That's why it always baffles me when anyone ever thought Steph Curry was better than Kevin Durant. He could have been more important than Kevin Durant, but trust me, he was never better than Kevin Durant. There was never a conversation where Steph Curry was better than Kevin Durant when they were on the same team. And I stick to that to this day. But that's why it's so hard to evaluate him all the time. If I watch Kevin Durant play basketball, it can't you just look at him and just tell me he's not a top 10 player to ever touch a basketball? Just seriously, just off pure, like, you watch him play and everything he does on the court. You don't tell me he's not a top 10 player to ever touch a basketball skill-wise? But then you go into the all-times. And the all-times, we don't care just about skill. We care about your accolades. You care about those layers. We care about what you did on what situations. And the truth is, Kevin Durant's got two rings. And they don't equal to two rings. Not all rings are equal. You want to call it equal to one, fine. But like LeBron's 2016 ring with the Warriors is way more than one ring. And everyone that watches basketball kind of understands that philosophy. It's very hard to explain, but everyone kind of understands that. Ma- Dirk's Mavs 2011 ring is more than a singular ring. He may only have one ring in his career, but that one ring is worth more than two Kevin Durant's rings. And that's the truth. And it's because he stacked the deck, and he did the same thing with the Nets. But this is the first time where stacking the deck didn't work. At least against him. Now against the Raptors series, listen, I saw him come off a torn Achilles, or sorry, a strained Achilles, score 11 points in the first 11 minutes of the game, and then obviously tears Achilles sadly. But he was the best player on that floor in that series for those 11 minutes. And I have no doubt in my mind they would have come back through on because of him, because that's how much I believe in him. And that's why I'm t- I'm having this conversation with myself, and I'm trying to enlighten you guys about this. He's the hardest player ever to evaluate because he put himself in such good situations like a good businessman should, like a good basketball player should. And then when he has to do it on his own, he does. But he hasn't had to do it on his own enough. And that is why if you ask me my top 10 NBA players today, I have met 10, but I wouldn't be shocked if a lot of people didn't have them in their top 10. And when it's all said and done, I feel like 10 is too low for him. Isn't that crazy? 10 is too low for him. That's how good of a player I think he is. And I think, like, at his peak, how good he can be. But the truth is, man, what what a series. What a game. What a clutch shot. He's always been known to hit the clutch shots. I've seen him do it against LeBron a million times. I've seen him do it in OKC. And I've seen him do it here in Brooklyn. He hits a clutch shot maker. Best in the game. But they didn't win. And he airballed the last one. And I'm not holding that against him. But I know if LeBron... I'm not going to go in that. But I know if LeBron airballed the last shot. Man, Skip this would go crazy. You guys know that. So, it's just that's what's on my mind. He's the hardest player ever to evaluate in the all-time greats conversation. I always wonder where you guys have him. And it's always great to debate. And so, let me know in the comments. But to me, I got him number 10. And that's what's on my mind. All right, so let's just go over my second-round predictions. Um, let's just start with the Nets, um, Bucks series, and everything that I liked in that series. Um, first of all, I had the Bucks in six, and I always like to give myself a clap that I predicted this Bucks over the Nets, and I do really think this is the Bucks um, year. I do, and I'll get to my conference finals predictions later, but I think this is the Bucks year. And I didn't want it like that, though. Man, it sucks. Kyrie gets hurt. Giannis goes in, you know, play defense, get a rebound, and it ends up undercutting him, right? 
and he ends up, you know, I think he has a high ankle sprain, something of that severe. Harden played with a green two hamstring string, and it still went seven. The truth is the Nets should feel perfectly fine about where they are today. The Nets are are in perfectly fine where they are today, and um, that's the truth. Um, they should be the favorites in the NBA championship next year. I know there's a lot of fluidity in the NBA. It's the most fluid sport. A lot can change. A lot of stars can be moving. We have to wait for the offseason. I'm very excited for it, but those three guys still... There has been no one that could stop him. You took the Bucks to seven with two of your stars hurt. Okay, that's how good you guys are. And obviously your depth played really well. And honestly, Joe Harris was also terrible. I mean, if Joe Harris has to repeat that for even to go seven, that that's how much it needed for the Bucks to win that series. And that's how I know the Nets were a better team. And I'm going to call myself wrong in that prediction to say the Bucks in six. But still, it's it's just how the game goes. Um, but let's, let's just be honest. So... A huge step for Giannis in this series. A humongous step. 40-13-5. And in, uh, in Game 7, he his jump shot actually looked as good as it did in that game than in any other game. He didn't take that many. And in Game 6, you notice he took the lowest distance amount of shot per sh- uh, lowest distance per shot that he did in the entire series. Every single game, he just went closer and closer to the rim. He started dominating the paint like you know he did. Um, also, big... Listen, the truth was... That Drew Holiday did not have a good series. And it's something to concern going forward. The difference between the Bucks this year and last year is one player. And that's that Drew Holiday thought was better than Eric Bledsoe. And I was ready to roast Drew Holiday on the show. I was ready to say, listen, you're putting up Eric Bledsoe numbers. They thought you'd be better. This is the reason you're losing. You're to blame. And trust me, he hasn't been much better still. But the truth is, he had a lot of big shots in that game. He had a lot of big shots in that game seven. A step back three, tied 81-81. Next possession goes down baseline, hits it, gives him a five-point lead. It was a huge little 5-0 run from Holiday that really got them going. And Chris Middleton had a lot of tough fadeaways, especially at the end of the game. Up there, up for up to late in the game. It's a tough fadeaway jumper to really seal it um, multiple times. So listen, and go, you know what? And good for Mike Boonehoser. Because Mike Boonehoser's fatal flaw is that he trusted the bench too much in the other series. And this time, Game 7, he says, I'm not messing around this time. He played Bryn Forbes, who was what, hot the series before. and was had a little bit of slump against the Nets, of course. Couldn't be that hot like he was against the Heat. Played him six minutes. That was it. He played Pat Connaughton, 28. That was it. That was your one guy who played off the bench. He basically played a six-man rotation in Game 7. Play all the stars, all the minutes. Milton, Milton went tired. Thing. And the whole thing about the Bucks is like when Boonehoser was there, they're saying, listen, they give these guys a lot of rest because they were winning a lot, right? And there was nothing wrong with that. They were winning a lot and by a wide margin. So Yas was never playing 38 minutes a game. So when they get in these deep games, it wouldn't turn out the way it was because they weren't used to playing these X amount of minutes, these heavy amount of minutes. Well, finally, Mike Boonehoser got a message. He started a little bit more... Um, minutes this season and i think it really worked out for the best as for the nets if you got one person to blame it is joe harris and i hate to say that i hate to be like that guy's a spot-up shooter you have to blame listen he led the nba in three-point percentage and shot 27 percent for the series yeah i think he shot 47 percent. he was the best catch and shoot nba player best catch and shoot three player in the nba and he just was putrid in this series um i remember a series against the sixers when he played he just won again did not shoot well in that series it's always like these for the shooters. You can't expect it. Like you can't like Seth Curry, which we'll obviously get to um, in a second. But if I'm the Nets, I feel good about my future. And if I'm the Bucks, I took a huge step. Now the goal is the championship. Now it's listen. If you lost to the Nets, 
Mike Boonozer probably would have been fired. But, but at least you know you lost to a better team, right? Even though KD was hurt, it took a miraculous effort to KD. Now the gear is switched. The gear is switched because they weren't even favored in Game 7. That's the truth. Even with no, with a hurt hard, they put up 25-9-9 in Game 7 and no Kyrie. They weren't even favored. The gear is switched. It is now championship or bust. And I want to see what it's going to be like when I go into my prediction um, with this Hawks-Bucks series. I want to see what's going to happen with that because now the pressure's on them. And when the pressure's statistically, the pressure's been on them in the postseason, they have not performed well. But I'll get to that later. Let's go to my next series. Um, I want to get to the Sixers one last. So obviously that's the most to talk about. Let's go to another series, which is um, the Jazz Mavs. Or sorry, the Jazz Clippers. What a series. Kawhi gets hurt. Game 5, Utah's up 10, blows it. Game 6, Utah's up 20, blows it. The Clippers, I have to remind you, were the best free throw shooting team in the NBA and the best three-point shooting team in the NBA. It's a lot without Kawhi Leonard. And honestly, if anyone remembers what... If anyone remembers, the one flaw I had about the Clippers was not their team, was their late-game offensive execution because they just went ISO, ISO, ISO. Without Kawhi, you know what they did? They didn't do that. They let Paul George go ISO, but they just spread out the floor. So much spacing, and Paul George, who is a better all-around player, as like a passer and all that, and a handler, than Kawhi Leonard, made the right basketball play. That was the best I've seen Paul George play since 2015 Indiana. 2015? No. 23rd? Wow. A while ago. 2014, 2013 Indiana Pacers. He was consistent. He was attacking the basket. He looked smooth. He was always making the right basketball play. 37, 11, and 5 or 6 he had in game 5 or something like that. It was great game 6. I mean, they're deep. I never didn't like their talent. I, I never didn't like their ability to shoot. I just hated their late game execution, and it killed him in the Mavs series. Why the Mavs series went seven, and it killed him again in the Jazz series in the beginning because the Jazz were just outworking the ball. They were just working the ball more than them, getting better shots. Um, listen, the Jazz got Jazz just lost, and they had to feel a little bit disappointed. Okay, but the truth is. The Clippers in Game 6 went supernova on you. The Jazz had a history of doing that. They went supernova in the first half, but that there's two halves of basketball. I think the Clippers shot 11 for 15 from 3 in the second half. That's absurd. That's like not. That's like ungodly. There's not much else you can do. You can blame them for the Game 5 loss, but uh, it's always about pressure. There was no pressure on the Clippers after Kawhi got out. It was the first time that there was no pressure on them. Because, listen, I had the Jazz winning the series. But the truth is, there's pressure on the Clippers to win. And now they have another second round exit. Even if I had the Jazz to win. Um, so, I mean, it was just one of those things where there was no pressure. They played free. Paul George played free. They fronted about the whole pandemic thing. And now, you know what? Playoff P is not officially back. Because now... Now, he could, you know, he might be back. He might be back. I don't know yet. We'll see how he plays. He played a very good, good Western Conference Finals game, and we'll get that too in a sec. But if you're the Jazz, you hang your head a little bit because just like the Sixers, you thought this this was year. You're statistically a top five in the offensive and defense efficiency. Only team to do that. Donovan Mitchell was playing out of his mind. Rudy Gobert won Defensive Player of the Year. You had so many shooters in Bogdanovich, Ingles, Royce O'Neal, and Jordan Clarkson. You just got outshot. And that's not something I thought 
If you would have thought the Jazz would have lost, it's because they just would have gone cold. And all the threes, just like the Rockets, because that's how I kind of compared to just caught up in the end. Famous 0 for 28 or whatever. 28 straight threes missed. It's the famous one. So, and they didn't. They just got outshot. And you know what? If that just happens, you just got to tip your clip to the Clippers. Congratulations to the Clippers, by the way. Ty Lue takes the Cavs um, to the first ever championship. Not for, yeah, first ever NBA Finals and wins it. Um, and Ty Lue takes the Clippers to the first ever Western Conference Finals. Hell, you know, and I was always a little skeptical how good of a coach he was. But he's shown, he's made very good adjustments. Not adjustments made from Marcus Morris in the game, just spreading out Gobert, which I can go into a little bit. Gobert did not get exposed as a defender. We have to keep understanding what he is. He's a great paint defender. And I'm again the same thing with him. B later, who was also second team all defense. Um, Gobert was first. These are centers. They're centers for a reason. And they're always going to get killed in the small ball lineup. So just because Rudy Gobert can't get out there does not mean he's not a good defender. Doesn't mean he got exposed. It just I saw a lot of those shot contests. He was there. And it wasn't bad defense. They just spread him out, and that's just what happens sometimes with these centers. And it's okay. Doesn't mean he didn't deserve defensive play of the year. I don't think he should have won it anyway, but that doesn't mean that that because he was X amount, you know, automatically not win defensive play of the year. It's just what happens to these centers. There's only one center in the NBA that can do it, and that's why he was regarded as the best defensive center in the NBA for a long time. That was Anthony Davis. He's just leaner, quicker, and athletic, more athletic than Embiid and Gobert, which is why he's able to go on these switches. But we can get into that in a different day. Um, next series, Suns Nuggets. Listen, I said Suns in five. Um, I didn't get any series perfectly right, but I said the Suns were clearly just a better team, and you know, they couldn't get one. Tip the cat up to Jokic. Hell of a season. Not the way you wanted to end it with that flagrant two. Should not have been a flagrant two, by the way. But listen, he he did as well as he could. Seriously, and like, um, um, you know, the truth is, um, that. It's just what it is. They just weren't good enough. No Jamal Murray. The, I mean, first of all, Chris Paul was unreal. 11 assists, the turnover ratio, average 28 points per game. I mean, he was ungodly. He was ungodly. And I'm going to say it again because I've said it a million times on the show that Chris Paul is the second best point guard in the, in the NBA and he's better than Damian Lillard. I'm going to say it again because I don't know how many times I had to say it because Chris Paul once again has led team to a to a place they haven't been in a long time. Damian Lillard sits at home. Okay? But Chris Paul is the second best point guard in the NBA behind Steph Curry. Maybe if he wins championship, maybe he'll take that one spot. That's a debate for another day. All right, let's get into the one that matters. The biggest upset of the first round. Or sorry, the second round. The number 1 seed Sixers beat the Hawks. Um I didn't know how healthy Joel Embiid was. I actually said the Sixers in 7. And I was going to come here and gloat say, I knew Embiid wasn't that healthy. I knew this would be tough. I knew how good the Hawks were. Listen, I knew the Hawks went 29-12 and 12 in the year. I knew the Sixers went 29-12 and 12 in the year. And I knew they're good. But let's also talk about injuries in the Hawks before we get into it. Just Embiid. Bogdanovich was clearly hobbled in Game 7. And they didn't have DeAndre Hunter, one of their best perimeter defenders and 3D players, the entire series. They had a liability out there in Salmon Hill for this first couple of games. And give all the credits in the world to Kevin Herter. For coming in and absolutely getting buckets when the team needed the most. He was an exceptional game seven. So let's start where everyone wants to start with. And that's Ben Simmons. And I'm going to rip into Ben Simmons for two minutes. And then I'm going to tell you why it's not just Ben Simmons' fault. One, Ben Simmons, you shot three shots in the fourth quarter the entire time. That's atrocious. That is being scared. That is all mental. Two, I don't care that he didn't take the dunk. 
And anyone that thinks, anyone that thinks the Sixers lost because he didn't take that dunk and pass it to Thibault, Thibault made one free throw, should never talk basketball again. It is the easiest scapegoat to why we lost. Three. Ben Simmons in game seven and eight rebounds and 13 assists and was plus one from the field. Also held Troy Young to fell five of 23, but no one cares about that. He scored four points. And number four, if Ben Simmons' name was Draymond Green and Ben Simmons was drafted with the 34th overall pick in the second round, Ben Simmons would be absolutely beloved by everybody. Go look at Draymond Green's numbers. Go look at Ben Simmons' numbers. They're nearly identical, and they nearly do identical things for their respective teams. Now, here's the difference. Ben Simmons does not fit with Joel Embiid. I don't give a rat's ass that they went 36-9 and on the court together. Because at the end of the game, in important games, they don't fit together. Ben Simmons is a point center. What I mean by that in today's NBA is that he should really be playing the five and he's surrounded by four shooters. And Ben Simmons should be getting like 13 boards a game. Now, if it was hypothetically Ben Simmons, three shooters, sharpshooters, and Joel Embiid, that could work. And that's what they did in the 2016 season. And that's why they went on that 15-game winning streak. That's why they look so good. That's why Ben Simmons was those because they were pushing the pace and getting at the shooters. Now, with Tobias Harris there, you're a $180 million man who couldn't make a freaking layup for his life in Game 7 and shot 7 of 21 does not fit that mold. He fits that mold with Embiid as a third scorer, right? A guy that when Embiid's out can get buckets for you. But for the whole Simmons argument, he doesn't fit with him. Bet, like, like... All three of them don't fit together that well. Ben Simmons and Toby do. Toby and John B do. All three of them do not, if that makes sense. Right? So let's just continue to why the Sixers lost. I'm going to continue all this little Ben Simmons dunk thing. Was it weak mentally? Yes. But if he believes Gallo was coming from behind him, and he thought he was going to get fouled, and he thought Tease had a wide open dunk, then what's the big deal? You're blaming the wrong guy getting fouled when Tease is a better free throw shooter. Statistically, it might have been the right play. We don't even know if he would have made the dunk. But here's why the Sixers lost. And no one's going to like this. Nobody's going to like this. Here's why the Sixers lost. The Sixers were up four with around six, five minutes to go. It was like 83-80. 84-80. Something like that. Or 81-77. Wide open three for Matisse Thibel. Misses. Fine. Danilo Garnard comes on the other end, hits a step back three catch. That's your six-point swing right there. Building would have erupted. Hawks would have been on their heels. The same thing that happened to the Hawks in Game 6 is what happened to the Sixers in Game 7. The Sixers had no pressure on them in Game 6. They didn't. For the first time in that series, they had no pressure on them. And when it got close, the Hawks choked a little bit. Trey Young choked a little bit. And then they knew that they just did the same thing to Philly in Game 7. Keep it close. Be up the entire game. Put the pressure on the Sixers. That it's over. And that's what they did. They just kept chipping away. They knew they couldn't finish games. They knew they couldn't finish games. Listen, there's a lot of reasons why the Sixers lost the series. And the biggest one, or one of the biggest one that nobody is talking about, because this guy always gets the scapegoat, is Joel Embiid. And I'm sick of it. I'm actually sick of it. I get he played on a tournament. I get he averaged 34 a game and was unreal. He was. But let's talk about when you needed him most. In the fourth quarter in the last five minutes of the game. 
In the second half of Game 4, he shot 0 of 12. In the fourth quarters in Games 5 and 6, I believe he shot a combined 5 of 16. In Game 7, he came out hot, and he was took over the game, and I was happy. I was like, this is his game. This is the... This is where he proves me wrong and shows me that he's clutch. Did not happen over the last four minutes of basketball. And once again, with the game on the line, with the game on the line, he had two crucial turnovers. Down four, got the ball stripped away from him. I will say it again. He, the guy has never hit a clutch shot in his life. He has never had a clutch shot that has mattered in his life. And I love Joel Embiid, but it's just the truth, man. It's just the truth. You can't name one. The truth is that if game four, he didn't shoot over 12 in the second half, right? We win game four. We're up 3-1. The truth is, if he didn't shoot two for seven in the fourth quarter in game five, I'm guessing we win that too. When did it all of a sudden the best player on the on the best team didn't get blamed for anything? Because I know people are still going to blame Kevin Durant for airballing that shot. I know people are going to blame LeBron for being the best player and losing to the Suns and not being that great. I know if Giannis lose, I know if Giannis would have lost last night, they would have blamed him for his poor free throw shooting and his continuous to shoot jump shots. Yet Joel Embiid has somehow never gotten the blame. Because he's the process. Because he's the baby of Philadelphia. And I, it's not that I don't think Joel Embiid can be the best player on the championship team. I do. But he's not the guy. Like, he's not the guy to close it. And that's fine. You could have the secondary guy close it. Which Ben Simmons isn't. Which I knew that. Which Tobias Harris also isn't. Which I also knew that. I wrote a blog saying, how are we going to end games? We still don't have a closer. And Tobias Harris had a couple clutch shots here against the Lakers and all that. And you're like, maybe Toby was the guy. The playoffs are a different animal, man. And it proved once again that we didn't have a closer. We never did have a closer. That's why we lost. And also, Doc Rivers, you suck. You suck at coaching. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Like, I'm not kidding. It's easy for me to critique him because they lost. But if anyone that watches him, go look at Josh Smith. He doesn't make adjustments. I can't think of a single adjustment he made. In that series. There was not one. Like you can't name it. It's the same thing in the Clippers series. He's the most game seven losses ever. He's the most game seven home losses ever. He's just a choke artist. And I wish we could fire him. I do, but gonna have to run it back. They're not gonna fire Doc Rivers after one year. And here's my last point about Ben Simmons. I got two. And the Sixers. Point number one is um that you can get rid of Ben Simmons, but if you all Sixers fans think he sucks and thinks he's not, you know, trade him right away, what the hell are you going to get from him? You're not getting Dame. Apparently, the league sucks and him and a CJ flip is good, but you're losing a lot of defense. And you're not gaining that much offense. Ben Simmons is averages 14 points and 8 assists a game, plays first team all defense and defensive player of the year. I'm not giving up on that. I'm trying to move Toby and go to three shooters. That's what I'm going for. I'm... I'm I'm going back 2016, which was the best Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and that team ever looked. And you can get a third star like that. You can go get a Buddy Heald, and he's not a star, but you can go. I believe you can go get a Zach Levine and CJ McComb in the right package, not using Ben Simmons. I really do. But that's a different story for a different day. Um. 
Uh, did I have a number two? Did I say two? Um, but if I think of it, I'll just say it again. But the truth is, it's going to be hard to be getting rid of Ben Simmons. Oh, two. Yes. If you do get rid of Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, I promise you, does not want Ben Simmons gone. Because for the first time in his career, like I just mentioned, it's now on him. Now, if you don't think if you don't think that he's going to get blamed, listen, Brett Brown fired. Doc Rivers' excuse, yeah, we already know, but he's done. And we already know Tobias Harris can come through. But Ben Simmons, that, that was the difference. His late-game execution. He was the reason we're not getting past second round. That's what everyone's saying. And I'm not going to agree or disagree. There's a lot of reasons why we lost. It's part of it. But now, now you got the spacing. Now you're going to replace him with a shooter. And now it's on you. You got what you wanted, John Bead, if Ben Simmons is gone. You got what you wanted. So if you don't get past the second round again, whose fault is it? And I hope this next year is different. I'm telling you, the Sixers, unless drastic moves are made, or the right moves, not even drastic, the right moves are made, are not better than the Bucks next year. They're not better than Nets next year. And trust me, the Hawks are one of the youngest teams and only going to get better and better and better. So, I mean, yeah, I got that one wrong. I had Sixers and seven. I went two and two. Um, so, I mean, that's a decent performance myself. I really thought I should have went three and one with the Sixers, but it is what it is. And that was for my second round predictions. All right, let's get to the conference final predictions, man. You know, the NBA playoffs, it only gets better as uh, you move on, just like the talent in the games and the intensity. But, man, I love the first round so much. Just like March Madness, I love the first round so much. Four games on every single day, two games on every single weekday, four games on on weekends, man. It's great just watching all this great basketball. Now, today's the first day I haven't had a basketball game in 35 days to watch, and I, I always hate it. Um, also, Scheduling before we get into the conference finals. How is two games of the Western Conference Finals happening before one game in the Eastern Conference Finals? That to me makes no sense. And the Bucks, after going through a seven-game series, got three days off. Should not. While the Clippers in the six-game series got one day off. That just saying is a little interesting scheduling fl- conflict that the NBA should have realized and should have worked on. But. Let's get into the series. So first, I'm going to go through um, the Eastern Conference. And um, so the Eastern Conference is the Bucks with Hawks. The Bucks with the one seed, Hawks with the five seed. I'm going to make this plain and simple because I may, I told you, this is the Bucks here and all the pressure's on the Bucks. <clears throat> the Bucks. If you're the Hawks, right, you have once again done your job. You have gone farther than anyone thought you would have. I didn't even think they'd make it out of the first round. Okay. So I'm completely, whatever I say about the Hawks, I guess I don't know what I'm talking about. So, but the truth is, anything that you learn from here is just a learning lesson and a stepping stone. Because you weren't supposed to be here, and that's the truth. And it's only a plus from from here. How I see the series going down is simply that I don't think the Bucks will make the same mistakes that the Sixers made. And what I mean by that is that the Bucks have two perimeter scores at the end of games. They have Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton who I think took big strides in that Game 7 with their clutch shot making, which will give them the confidence. Those two players are also two elite defenders that you can put on Trey Young. Okay? You also have Giannis playing the power forward position in the center. So Clint Capella is in a weird spot right now. Because they, they can go back to that small ball lineup. Right? Like you can put, I don't know how well John Collins is going to be able to do on Giannis. I think they put John Collins on Brooke Lopez, and then they put Clint Capella on uh, Giannis. 
But the truth is, I just don't know if they have the size to match up with the Hawks while the Bucks are deeper and have more. They have, they're deeper than the Sixers. They have better shooting than the Sixers and their trio is better than the Sixers. And the truth is, Trey Young is like he survived the five for twenty three in Philly. There is no way in I would be if this happens. I'd be shocked. If he shot that similar in Milwaukee and they came out with the win, I would be shocked. And I I, I can't I, almost as shocked as the Sixers blowing that twenty whatever point in game five. So also Bogdanovich, how hurt is he? Obviously DeAndre Hunter's not coming back. The Bucks are just a deeper team. B.J. Tucker, Bryn Forbes, Ari Connaughton. The Hawks are actually a pretty deep team. They're both around 7-8 deep. So, actually, I guess it's kind of even in that. Um, Nate McMillan's bench is still going to have to be great. Listen, I think Nate McMillan's the best coach in the Eastern Conference right now. I think he's better than Boonehoser. So, I'm not putting anything past him. But, to me, the key to the series is now you got you you, you actually did a decent job on Embiid. Because you kind of kept him to being a jump shooter in the fourth quarter. How are you going to do that to Giannis in the fourth? And while the Sixers couldn't make shots off of Embiid's passes, off Embiid's dishes and double teams, will the Bucks be making those? Those are the keys. That would be the difference. Otherwise, that, will the Bucks blow any you know, big um, big leads like the Sixers? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I just really believe the Sixers just blew that series against the Hawks. And I just don't think the Bucks do that. I like personally, I don't think this series goes past five. I think the Hawks get a game three or game four in their building. But I like the Bucks in five, especially to win the first two um, at home and really put the pressure on. But I think the Hawks get um, game a game three or four in that series. I actually like the Bucks in five. All right, the Suns versus Clippers series. Listen, CP3, Ice Gun Alert, was just ruled out for game two. So it's looking like game three in LA is when he returns. I don't think Kawhi's coming back. Okay? They're kind of like leaning in that Kawhi may come back. Kawhi might, Kawhi might not come back. They're leaving the door open. I think that door is shut, and I think everyone in the Clippers organization knows that door is shut. So, I told you how deep this Clippers team is. Reggie Jackson's been sensational, averaging like 18 points per game since then. You saw DeMarcus Cousins come in in eight minutes, put up 11 points. Paul George has been great. Uh, Nick Batum's been great. Anyone see this? Nick Batum's been bouncy lately. Anyone notice that he's been throwing it down? I mean, Terrence Mangan, 34 points from him in a game six was unbelievable. And I always liked him. He was always a good player. I obviously think he was capable of this. So they have the bench pieces. Rondo, obviously a great player to have in the spot to take over that leadership role, being the voice in the locker room. I think both these teams are pretty even. I actually like the Clippers in game two tomorrow. I really do. I think the Clippers take it in Phoenix. I think this series is back and forth the entire way. And it kind of reminds me of the... The Suns clip, uh, Suns Lakers series. I told you I wouldn't have been shocked if the Suns, if the Lakers took one in Phoenix, and I wouldn't have been shocked if the Phoenix then took one back in LA. And I think the same thing is going on in the series. I think this is going to go two two into Game Five, and this series is going to be up for grabs. What I think is going to be the difference is that you have two players in the clutch when Chris Paul comes back that are a little better with smarter with the basketball. And Chris Paul and Devin Booker, they're not loosey goosey as Paul George and the Clippers are, and. They're also just a little deeper and have a little more, even though the Clippers shoot better from three, I think the Suns have a little bit more reliable shooters and Cam Johnson, Mikel Bridges, more three and D guys. Um, just a little bit deeper of a roster of Kawhi out that I can trust to get offensive buckets at the end of the game. Both teams are really good defensively. Both teams are on beautiful offenses. Um, I got the Suns in seven. I do. 
I think this goes down to a game seven, and I would have a hard time seeing LA going to game seven and winning. It's the Suns in seven for me. And honestly, the truth is, neither team, the Suns, and uh, I think the Suns have never won an NBA championship, and the Bucks haven't won since 1970, something with Kareem. I am down for that NBA Finals. That is the best case scenario NBA Finals for me. If Kawhi can't come back, I don't want the Clippers in the NBA Finals. And trust me, I do not want the Hawks in the NBA Finals. I just think that would be absurd and it wouldn't be as good. I think the Bucks, Suns, NBA Finals that I'm predicting would be a good look for the NBA. Two teams that haven't um, been able to pull through in recent memory. It would be 10 years ago. It would be recent. Two superstars in Chris Paul and Giannis looking, it's battling for that first ring. This first ring is legacy defining for Chris Paul and Giannis. And that's the truth. So I think it'd be an excellent finals. Hopefully we get there. But I got the Suns and seven. So recap, Bucks and five, Suns and seven. And those are my conference finals predictions. All right, thank you for joining me for another episode of No Block Sports. This is episode 61. If you want to check out all the other 60 episodes, you can go to anchor.fm slash Sports, or you can just look up No Block Sports on Spotify or Apple Music. We're also on Google Podcasts and all that. Listen, give it five stars. Give it a like. Give it a comment. When I post it on Twitter, debate me. You know, I love the debate in Twitter. I love the debate. Um, I love to see your guys' takes. I like to see what you agree with me or disagree, because trust me, I'm not right on everything. And sometimes I say some things that can turn out to be possibly ridiculous. You know me. I, as I said, I go over my second round predictions. I go over all my predictions every single time. Um, that uh, I don't mind being wrong. I don't mind being wrong. wrong. Find me at NoBlockSports1 um, on Twitter. And uh, I'll see you guys next time. <laughs>